0: Good morning, and I bid you welcome in the name of Jesus on this, the first Sunday of Advent. You know, every Sunday in Advent, we will be lighting the Advent wreath, a, a new candle, as we look forward to finally on our Christmas Eve service, lighting the Christ candle. If you're at home this year and unable to be with us because of COVID or other reasons, I'd encourage you to make your own Advent wreath. Uh, all you have, have to have are five candles. It doesn't matter if they're nice or not. If you don't have uh, candle holders, get you one of those aluminum pans and, and make it out of that. and Use it to mark uh, our Advent Sundays. There's nothing innately spiritual about that. It's a tradition. It's a fun tradition. It's a way of anticipating uh, not only the first coming of Christ but also the second. Each Sunday in the service, we're going to have an Advent reading uh, by different folks within our congregation. And I'm going to be sharing those uh, here this morning. So this will be read in our service. On this, the first Sunday of Advent, we light the prophet's candle. The first purple candle which represents Christ's royalty and the sinner's repentance. Throughout the Old Testament, we find many prophecies pointing to the coming of Christ. One of these prophecies can be found in Isaiah 9, 6-7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came into this world to bring us peace with God. May we remember this Advent season, the cost of that peace. Let's pray. Our Father, as we reflect upon the cost of the peace that has been brought between us and you, we thank you for our Savior, the promised Messiah, your Son, Christ Jesus. Lord, in this Advent season, as we begin it um, together and apart, Lord, that you prepare our hearts and do a great work within us. We pray that we would see Jesus more clearly this season than ever before, that we would know the hope that only comes from Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this Advent season, we are going to be going through Luke chapter 1 and 2 as we explore together the coming and the arrival of our Savior. So this morning we begin in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, reading through 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, "'How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years.'" And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And When his time of service is ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God, it shall stand forever. Let's pray. So, Father, as we look at your word, as we were reminded of the events that led up to the coming of the birth of your Son. We pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom, give us insight. As we look at a text that many of us know so well, we pray that we would see it with fresh eyes. We pray for your help and unction for the, for the preacher and hearer alike. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have we forgotten about hope? Have you forgotten about hope? It's been a a tough year. And perhaps as you look at your December calendar, it's not nearly as full as it was last year. Perhaps some of you weren't able to get with family at Thanksgiving. And perhaps you're wondering if you'll be able to see anyone special at Christmas. And this is a time when we are reminded, that we should be reminded, of the hope that we have in Christ. Right, as, as so many of these things are stripped away from us. It reminds us again of why we celebrate Advent and why we celebrate um, the coming of Christ. You know, for the believer, there's hope in the midst of hardship because our Savior has come into this world to save us from our greatest enemy, our sin. Do you need hope? Let's be reminded together of the hope we have in Christ this morning. We are introduced in this passage to a couple who needed hope, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Barrenness was the theme of their song, and not joy. They were a godly people. In fact, in verses five through six, we see as we are introduced to them, there's nothing negative said about them. Right? Only positive. They are both to be declared to be righteous for the Lord, walking blameless before Him and all His commandments and statutes. That doesn't mean they were perfect; it just means they were godly, right? And and Luke goes out of his way here to show us that there's nothing wrong in their lives. Their walk with Jesus was healthy. But then there's a disconnect, right? We're reading along, and verses five through six sound so good, and you think, man, I, I want a life like that. And then he throws us for a loop, and he shows us the tension. He shows us the conflict. He shows us the problem. Verse 7, we read, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. What a blow. What a blow to be barren. They had no children. They had gotten married in full expectations. The Lord would bless them with children soon after their marriage, right? And there wasn't anything wrong in their lives. We're told here that there wasn't anything wrong in their lives. Nothing they had done had, had brought a curse on them because of something that happened to them. They were, he was a priest and respected in the community, and yet they'd never had children. Right? Years and years of trying and praying and praying and trying and fasting and praying some more, but it hadn't worked. But there was more bad news. Right? Not just that they were without children, but that they were advanced in years. Right? We, we don't know how old that would make them, but it meant that the way of women had passed for Elizabeth, and her body could no longer produce a child. You know, barrenness and not having natural children is a blow uh, today. Many of you have struggled through that. And there's no, there's no stigma that should be attached to that. Right, But, but I, I imagine that many have struggled through um, wondering what other people thought and wondering if they would ever be complete. That's a common struggle. And, and if you've had that struggle or are having that struggle, you, sh- you should know that you're not alone. The Bible's full of those kind of people, by the way. And so, so are our churches. Don't struggle alone. But things were even worse back in those days. Because there was a, a, a very serious social stigma attached to being barren. But right, so much depended in society upon passing your name down to the next generation. In many ways it was your identity and also it was your future in terms of having children to take care of you. In a day without social safety nets, that was really important. But most often... Much like blindness was seen as a curse from God, or, or much like if there was some disability, people, um, not from a biblical perspective, but from a worldly perspective, would look and say, well, they must have done something wrong, or their parents must have done something wrong. And so the same thing with barrenness. People would have thought it was a curse from God. And so Elizabeth, you know, walking in the marketplace, there would have been, there would have been, oh, bless her heart, you know, or, hmm, I wonder what she did. There's got to be more to that story. There would have been glances, perhaps when they showed up for the Christmas party as a priest, or I guess not Christmas party because they hadn't had that yet. So they showed up for, um, I don't know, the Passover feast and had a fun time with their priest buddies and their wives. and There would have been sideways glances. They needed hope. They needed hope. But their barrenness was mirrored by and really paled in comparison to the barrenness that Israel, God's people, that they were going through. You know, we think of the condition of the Jews in that period. It was an exceedingly hard time and much hope was needed. We're introduced in verse 5 to a very bad man. His name was Herod. This is the same Herod who will... uh, seek to kill all the babies under two in the area around Bethlehem in order to kill one child. He had killed numerous uh, members of his own immediate family. He was a very wicked guy, and this was the man who had charge over Israel. Israel needed hope. They had been under the thumb of foreign oppressors for quite some time. They had been brought out of exile in the early sixth, or excuse me, late sixth century but things didn't go like they thought they should have. They were God's people living in God's land, but they didn't have ownership of that land. They were living under successive rulers. But you know, the, the greatest source of barrenness is one of a spiritual barrenness. Right? The last prophet who had come to God's people was Malachi, whom we just finished studying about. Malachi preached around 460 B.C. Right. And so you would have had um, the ministries of Ezra and Nehemiah immediately after that. But, but once you get to after Nehemiah, we, we see that, that things are silent after that. For, for over 400 years, had God forgotten his promises? Had God forgotten his people, what they were going through? Have you ever felt like that? Spiritually, they were barren. They needed hope. But what about us? Do we need hope? Right? There are a lot of different ways we can use that word hope, and we're going to be really using them interchangeably in our time together. You know, I feel like in many ways 2020 has been hell-bent on squashing hope. I don't think hell-bent's a bad word, is it? It certainly seems appropriate. And it's not like that life was great before 2020. It's not like 2019 was some paradise of a year, and then all of a sudden 2020 hit and it was bad. It was We brought our own problems into 2020, and then all this other mess has, has come up. Many of you have in your lives struggles where you need hope that have nothing to do with the pandemic and the election season and, and all the craziness of this year, perhaps some chronic illness to problems with your marriage or your family, struggles with temptation or uh, alcohol abuse. Do, do you find yourself drinking more than you should? Call me. Let's talk. Right. Do, do you find yourself uh, scanning through the Internet and finding things you, you shouldn't? Call me. Let's talk. Right? There's hope. There's hope in Jesus. We all struggle with things that are hard, from broken trust to scars from our past. Do you find yourself embittered against family members? Do you find yourself um, a conflict of over even have, how to handle the COVID season? Call me. Let's talk. There is hope in Jesus. You know, the ultimate hope, though, that was needed and that we need. It's because apart from Christ's coming, we, we are not at a right relationship with God. Our greatest enemy is our own sin, our own guilt. See, our own sin, our actual sins, those things we think, say, and do, and the things that we should do that we don't, and then the guilt that we inherit from our father and mother, um, you know, descendant-wise, uh, Adam and Eve, and they're, they're, it was called original sin. Well, we have a real problem, and it's not something we can do anything about. There aren't enough good works. You could fill every moment of every day with great works, and even if they were untainted with sin, they still wouldn't make up for the bad things that we have done. That There's no hope in us for dealing with our sin. We need hope that is outside of us. You know these books that tell you just to look inside and believe in yourself. Y'all, those things are full of trash, Right? If I'm the best in my life, then I'm in a world of trouble. Hope, true hope, I need from outside me because I'm the problem. So we see that hope is needed. We also see that hope is coming. And for us, hope hope has come. In verses 8 through 17, we see that hope is announced. And first it's announced for our godly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. See, Zechariah was a priest and we find him serving as a priest in verse 8. Now, the way it worked is because there were so many priests in this day, you know, you had to be of the tribe of Levi and then of the line of Aaron in order to be a priest. But there were so many by this point that the way that it worked is that they had a semi-annual rotation. And for two weeks every year, people would, um, priests who lived all over the, the place, they would travel to Jerusalem and serve for two weeks. Now, there's something really special, though, and that is, that, uh, that you would draw lots. See, not everybody got to go into the temple, the temple itself. There was a lot that priests had to do from slaughtering the animals to getting the animals ready to uh, preparing all of the, the logistics that needed to be done. There was a lot to be done. But only one person on a daily basis would get to go into the temple itself. And it was a, a great honor. And so what they did is you would draw, they would draw lots, and if your lot was drawn, you would get to go into the temple that day. But, but here's the thing, you could only do it one time, only one day. And after that, your name would be taken out of the draw. Not everybody got to go in in their time of being a priest. But on this day, the lot was drawn for Zechariah. And so we hear Zechariah burning incense in the temple directly before the curtain, that divided the holy place from the most holy place. The most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant would have been if it came back from exile, which it didn't. The Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be there, and, and so you would stand on the other side of the curtain, and, uh, and you would minister on that side. You could not go into the other side. And each day, fresh incense was put on a special tray or table, an altar where it was burned before the Lord following a very specific formula. And so when they would light this stuff, it would fill the temple with smoke, symbolizing the prayers of God's people going up before the throne of God. And when the priest did this, as he, after he had lit the incense, he would grab hold of the horns of the altar. There were four horns on each corner, one corner, one horn of the altar, he would grab hold of it and lift his eyes to the heavens and pray for God's people. So this was the one time he got to do this. So here we, here we have Zechariah. Put, your, put yourself in his shoes. A godly man who wanted all his life to have children and then all his life to, to do this. And now he is finally doing it. And what happens? Verses 11-12, through 12, much more than he bargained for. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, I'll say, and fear fell upon him. An an angel appeared before him. Now we'll find out that this is Gabriel, who will also be announcing good news to Mary and Joseph, that they'll be having a baby. But put your shoe, put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. Bam, there's an angel standing right there. all and, and you had never heard of this happening. This has not happened ever, at least in a long, long time that we know of. And all around in the temple there are images of angels, but here is the real thing. And it was fantastic news for Zechariah. Verses 13 through 14a says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness. And this is a side that I've just thought about now that I'm reading this again. Uh, You know, Elizabeth had been barren for apparently a good long time. And it says that your prayer has been heard. Did John continue to pray for a child after his wife went through menopause? I doubt it. I don't know. Maybe. But uh, if he didn't, that that means that this prayer that was prayed that has been heard was one that he had prayed a long time ago. You know, it's amazing. You never know when God's going to answer your prayer. Even if it's a prayer you prayed one time 20 years ago. He may be honoring that prayer now or sometime in the future, which means don't give up. Don't lose heart. Be persistent in prayer. Anyway, so he has great news, great news for Zechariah and Elizabeth, because now Elizabeth, old, old as dirt Elizabeth, she's going to have a child. Not only a child, but a son, an heir, one who will carry on the family line. Their barrenness has come to an end. They have hope again. The reproach of the community will be gone you better believe that they'll have joy and gladness hope has been announced to them but there's more announcement of hope here as well and that's for all of god's people look at verses 14 through 17 again and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the holy spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Hope has been announced and proclaimed for God's people. Right? We might not immediately pick up on what's going on here, and that's just because we don't know the Old Testament as well as we should. But, but this is a clear reference to something we just studied a few weeks ago. At the end of Malachi chapter 4, we read, we read that great news that is pointing to this exact moment. Behold, I will send you Elijah, we just heard that, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Did, did you hear that? This angel is telling, or Gabriel is telling, um, John, uh, excuse me, who are we talking about? Zechariah. That that would have been foretold the last time that a prophet spoke in Israel. Now, guess what? It's going to happen. This is great news. See, the Messiah, this meant that the Messiah was coming. The time of waiting was over. The Redeemer was coming to save His people because the forerunner had been announced. And guess what, Zechariah? You and Elizabeth, you get to have Him. He will be your child. What will He do? Oh, he's got a great ministry ahead of him. He's going to call God's people back to repentance. He's going to turn the hearts of God's people back to the Lord and prepare the way for the Lord. This one fellow preacher announced or pointed out to me a while ago, he said, he's going to remove the obstacles from the hearts of God's people to make a highway into their hearts for salvation. Hope has been announced, not just for Elizabeth and Zechariah, but also for all of God's people. But this, of course, is not just an announcement for them, but it is an announcement for us as well. Even though we would not live in this long ago, this is fantastic news for us. So the light of the world was coming into the world which He created. And for those who believe in the promised Christ, the promised Messiah, He has given us the right to become the children of God. See, Christ came into this world to give us hope. He has come into this world to give us hope, hope even in the midst of barrenness, whatever that barrenness looks like for you. He doesn't always relieve the source of our struggle, of the the point of tension in our lives, barrenness and whatever it looks like. But he does cause us to get through them. But this area of our sin, he deals with finally and totally and completely upon the cross. See, here is the one who is being foretold, the messenger of the Messiah, John the Baptist, who will declare and pronounce the coming of Christ prepare repair God's people for him. The one who has come, the Lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world. Praise be to God. Oh, my friends, he would come for death. The Messiah would. He would come for death. Not for their death, right? They had rebelled against him. Why shouldn't he? But instead he would come for his own death, that through his death we might have life. My friends, God offers you hope in the midst of your barrenness, light in the midst of your darkness, joy in the midst of your gloom. Well, we've seen that we've you know, needed this hope and that hope has been announced. What's going to be the response? You know, people respond to news differently, don't they? Uh, I shared a few weeks ago about the time uh, during Hurricane Katrina uh, in college. Well, um, let me share a little bit more about that. So uh, there were five guys living in the house together, and we knew the hurricane was coming. Uh, I went and got some food and some water. I didn't know how bad it was going to be. Others looked at me like I was crazy when I walked in with a big pack of matches, because that's all they had. Uh, And then the tornado sirens started going off. And, you know, Tuscaloosa is bad for tornadoes. You don't mess around with tornadoes in Tuscaloosa. But, but amongst all of us, there were radically different responses. See, Alex and I, we went down to, uh, we kind of had this half basement where the old furnace used to be. We, we went down there in order to be safe. Jake was upstairs watching TV, and I'm pretty sure it was ESPN. One of my, uh, my, my roommates, Dave, was at a party, a hurricane party. And then my other friend, my other roommate, Robert, was, I think at this point, he was on the roof trying to fix a hole. He was either on the roof or we're trying to figure him out how to get up there. But we all responded differently to this news. And we see in this text different responses as well. well. First, we see that Zechariah didn't believe it. Verses 18 through 20 say, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years." And the angel answered him I am Gabriel I stand in the presence of God and I was spent, sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold you will be silent and mute and unable to speak excuse me silent and unable to speak until the day that these things will take place because you did not believe my words which be fulfilled in their time you are heard here a uh, seeing is believing <laughs> it doesn't really work like that right Here's an angel. He's in the temple. He's praying to God. There's incense everywhere, and then an angel standing before him, probably lighting up the whole room, and he does not believe what the angel Gabriel says. Now, this doesn't mean that Zechariah is not a believer or that he's not godly. We've all done this, right? Well, as a result of his unbelief, Gabriel looks at him and says, Look, you dummy. I'm an angel. Not just an angel. I'm Gabriel. Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. and There's real play on words here, right? Because when you're standing... I mean, here, here is um, Zechariah standing in the temple. And if you're going to stand in the presence of God anywhere on earth, it's going to be there in the place of God's special presence. But Gabriel, he stands in the real presence of God, not the one tied to space and time of the temple in Israel, but in the heavenly courts. And he's been sent from there to here to proclaim this good news. And look, dummy... You didn't believe me? Guess what? Well, you're just not going to be able to speak or hear until it's time for Elizabeth to have her child. On the other hand, Elizabeth, who is not the priest, she believes in verses 24 through 25, and she is comforted by the announcement that they will soon have a child, a child who will do great things. What about Israel? What about God's people? What's their response? Well, we see in verses 21 through 22 that they understood that, that... Zechariah had seen a vision. They were excited. Were things starting to bust loose? What was going to happen? But you know, their, their excitement will fade over time. Indeed, when John the Baptist finally does begin his earthly ministry 30 years or so later, their reaction is mixed. Some will believe, right? Some will respond in faith as the, old, as the last Old Testament prophet came to repair God's people. But many, 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 many more will scoff and not only reject him, but also reject the one to whom he came to point, the Lamb of God, our Savior. And ultimately, he was killed at a dinner party, put on by another Herod. What's your response? What's your response? How have you responded to the coming of not only John the Baptist, but now that we know more of the story, to the Messiah who came to take away the sins of the world, I want you to think through that. Right? How have you responded, and how do you continue to respond? I mean, first we have to think in the sense of salvation. Have you responded to him in faith? But, but also as believers, what do we react more to? You know, 2020 has just been a year of reaction. Uh, as we've heard news, we react, and not always wisely. And, and as we have more bad news, we, we respond and react less wisely, right? Do we, do we respond and do we react more to the news on the TV or more to the coming of Christ and the good news that we have in this word? What rules our lives? Are we trying to find our hope in this world? My friends, we've seen this year in spades. That's not going to do it. And yet we keep seeming to be trying. See, see, we're holding out hope Desperate for 2021 to be better. What, what happens if it's not? What happens if it's not? Where is our hope? What is our hope in? Whom is our hope in? Our only source of hope in this world and the next is Jesus. Not a, not a politician, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. Our hope's not in a, a vaccine. Our hope is in Christ. May we hope more fully in him as we look forward to that day when, when our hope is fulfilled finally and fully, when Christ comes again, right? When our faith will be sight and our prayers will be praised. And so we pray, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, give us hope in this season. Help us to look to Christ, our hope. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen.